0: to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio, researched and written in Indianapolis by Dr. Adrian Peterson, and produced in the studios of WRMI, shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. I'm Jeff White. Opening music today is Marion Harris, Look for the Silver Lining, a song from 1921. This melody and these words were heard from radio station 2CM, 100 years ago.
1: Somewhere somewhere,
0: the well, on Wavescan today, we're going to be talking about radio station 2CM, the very first radio broadcasting station in Australia. Also unusual radio antennas and the Indian DX report. This is Wavescan edition NWS 701 for release on Sunday, July 31st, 2022. according to radio historians, the very first radio broadcasting license in Australia was awarded to Charles McLurkin due to his regular Sunday evening broadcasts over experimental amateur station 2CM. The program content for each weekly broadcast was published in a radio magazine in advance, and each program was avidly followed by anywhere up to 5,000 listeners each week. Here's Ray Robinson, now with the story of 2CM.
2: Thanks, Jeff. Charles Dancy McClurkin was born in Brisbane, Australia, on August 2nd, 1889. His mother Hannah was an accomplished businesswoman who managed the family hotel businesses throughout her entire life, and she was also a specialist cook who produced and published a whole series of annual cooking and recipe books. Her first husband died young, and likewise her second husband, Donald McClurkin, father to Charles McClurkin, died young also. After his many years of schooling, Charles McClurkin took employment in electrical engineering, and he early showed an interest in the unfolding development of wireless and radio. Together with his sister's husband, Cyril Lane, they established a radio and wireless company in Sydney in 1910, for which an experimental amateur station, XDM, was built. This wireless station, XDM, was installed on the rooftop of the family's two-storey Wentworth Hotel on Lang Street in downtown Sydney, from which frequent wireless contact under the callsign LMX was made with shipping in nearby Sydney Harbour. Two radio masts were installed on the flat roof, and as an interesting addition, McClurkin also installed a model railway system underneath the wireless aerials. In later years, Charles McClurkin revealed that he'd had a hidden motive back then for his early emphasis on wireless and radio development. He wanted to impress a particular girl. However, the girl was not impressed, and she later married somebody else, though young Charles did continue to develop his avid interest in radio. During the year 1912, 23-year-old Charles McClurkin went on a tour of Europe. While he was away, a fire destroyed the wireless equipment on the roof of the Wentworth Hotel and it almost spread to the entire hotel itself. The rooftop wireless station was never rebuilt. During World War I, McClurkin was permitted to continue with the further development of his wireless experiments, and together with his many official radio contacts, he was the only amateur radio station in Australia that was still permitted on the air. His wartime duties were conducted in cooperation with the Australian Army, and for this purpose he was granted the honorary rank of Major. The belligerent animosities of World War I ended at the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month, Monday, November 11th, in 1918 and during those four years of tragic human events over in Europe, wireless had become radio. With a somewhat unsteady peace on the horizon, radio was seen in the post-war era as an excellent medium for the mass communication of entertainment and information, and as we know, that was the coming new direction for programme broadcasting. In September 1920, the Australian government removed all wartime restrictions, and amateur radio operators were permitted back on the air once again. At the same time, business enterprises were giving serious consideration to establishing radio broadcasting stations in the major cities throughout the continent. In fact, at that stage, amateur radio stations were actually encouraged to provide programming for the public interest, entertainment and information. That's exactly what Charles Dancy McClurkin observed as the direction for his amateur radio station. He began his well-planned 90-minute Sunday evening programmes during the following year, 1921, a little more than 100 years ago. By then, Charles McClurkin was already married to Winifred Josephine Kenner of the nearby Sydney suburb of Homebush, and they already had three sons, the youngest still an infant. They were living in the parental home Namanula in Agnes Street in suburban Strathfield and the now 32-year-old McClurkin began his 90-minute Sunday night broadcasts over longwave station 2CM with just 7 watts on 214 kHz. The electronic equipment for the station was installed on a bench along the side wall of their garage and the two wooden antenna masts were erected on a vacant property adjacent to their suburban home. At the end of each broadcast, McClurkin would sign off with the adage, Don't forget to wind up the clock and put the cat out. Or perhaps occasionally, Don't forget to wind up the cat and put out the clock. (laughs) On Sunday evening, March 18th, 1923, 19-year-old actress Josie Melville was a guest in the McClurkin home in Strathfield, and she was coaxed, in spite of her reticence at the microphone, to sing two pieces of music apparently unaccompanied. One was Look for the Silver Lining, which you heard as the opening music in this edition of Wavescan today, sung by Marion Harris from the same era as Josie Melville. There are no known recordings of Josie Melville singing 100 years ago. After nearly four years of broadcasting his very popular Sunday evening programmes, Charles McClurkin made his final broadcast over 2cm on Sunday evening, February the 17th, 1924. There were already half a dozen radio broadcasting stations on the air in Australia, and several more were in the planning stages. Radio broadcasting station 2CM was no longer needed, and in any case, Charles Dancy McClurkin was packed and ready to make a voyage to the United States. From then onwards, station 2CM was just another amateur shortwave communication station, like so many others in Australia. Later during that year of 1924, some of the 2CM radio equipment was incorporated into the first transmitter used by the commercial station 2HD, that was inaugurated by Harry Douglas in Hamilton, Newcastle on January 27th, 1925. Radio entrepreneur Charles Dancy McClurkin, 2CM, died in Sydney in 1956 at the age of 67, and he was acknowledged and appreciated for his contribution to the development of wireless and radio in Australia in the earlier years. It was Prime Minister Billy Hughes who signed licence number one for station 2CM. As a result of his support for the station and its ultimately worldwide impact on radio broadcasting – The Australian government adopted a motion stating that McClurkin's 2CM had provided a unique and needed radio broadcasting service in the era just before regular broadcasting stations became airborne, and in honour of the original station 2CM, this call sign must never be issued again. Now, actually, there was another radio station in Australia with the sign CM, though this other CM station was 4CM in Brisbane, Queensland, and it played a part in the development of television. But that's a story for another day. Back to you, Jeff.
0: Thank you very much, Ray Robinson at KVOH in Los Angeles. Back a hundred years ago, Charles McLurklin with his amateur radio broadcasting station 2CM in suburban Sydney, was looked upon as one of the great leaders in the radio world in Australia. Interestingly, on one occasion, he decided to play a lurk with a touch of humor upon his radio world friends, and Ray Robinson explains what happened.
2: Yes, at his suburban home Namanula in Agnes Street, Strathfield, Charles McClurkin connected the down lead from his radio antenna to the fixed copper ball that was floating on the surface of the water in his bathroom toilet system. Another short wire lead was connected from the copper ball to his radio receiver. As a result of this unusual experiment, McClurkin reported excellent radio reception from many nearby and distant radio and wireless stations. A multitude of other amateur and professional radio experimenters in Sydney and beyond got into the act, and they performed the same experiment with the floating copper ball connected between the outdoor antenna and the radio receiver in the home. And would you know it, they also all reported excellent reception from many nearby and distant radio and wireless stations. Years later, another experimenter's efforts were written up in the April-May to 1935 issue of the American radio journal Shortwave Listener, which included a full-page article outlining H. Townsend's experiments in the usage of various different items as an antenna system for his radio receiver. The following page in the radio magazine depicted an artist's impression of several of Townsend's suggestions. It appears this article in the Shortwave Listener was written by H. Townsend's son, Don H. Townsend Jr., who lived in Fallon, Nevada. He often provided radio news and information for publication in the radio magazine Shortwave Listener, which was published every other month. These days we would look upon most of the items that Townsend and others used as antenna systems simply as novelty issues, though he did what many others were doing at the time, experimenting with what they had to see how well it worked. Townsend listed 10 novelty antenna designs and we choose 7 of these items here in this presentation of Wavescan. First there was the bed spring, literally. <laughs> Many young men have used the bedspring they sleep on as an antenna for their radio receiver. For some it was simply convenient, and for others it was a way to avoid parental oversight of what they were listening to on their radio receiver. Second was the downspout. In earlier years, before the invention of plastic, it was common practice to solder together the sections of the metal downspout that conveyed water from the gutters around the roof to the ground. And in some regions, it was also common practice to use metal as the roofing material. So using the downspout could provide an extensive area of metal roofing as a receiving antenna. Third was the house electrical system. Now this one can be dangerous. Do not connect the electrical wiring in your house directly to your radio receiver. This connection can be made, but you need a special item of equipment to do so. Then there was the copper ring. Townsend's article referred to a copper ring or a copper ball similar to what McClurkin in Australia had used. However, Townsend states that the short lead from the copper item to the receiver was also acting as an antenna. The fifth design he mentions involves a pie tin. This is a simple one. If a clean aluminium pie tin is placed underneath an old-style house telephone, Then the Pi-Tin tends to act as a collector of radio signals from the wiring of the house telephone system. A short lead from the Pi-Tin transfers the incoming radio frequency signal to the radio receiver, plus of course all of the local interference as well. The sixth item he tried was a kitchen stove. The old-style metallic wood-burning kitchen stove can also act as a radio antenna. Of course, you need to be aware of the high temperature of the stove when it's in use. Number seven was a doorway screen, which back then used to be made of a metallic mesh and which could also act as a radio antenna. Now, these don't exist in Europe, but they're very common in North America and in Australia and New Zealand, and listeners there will know what I'm talking about. They could be highly directional for the reception of medium-wave stations and he found that opening or closing the doorway screen could increase or decrease the signal strength in the reception of an incoming medium-wave station. In the usage of any of these novelty antennas, Townsend doesn't state the superiority of one over another. He simply states that over the years, these items have been used experimentally by many different radio enthusiasts, mainly as a fun thing to see what happens. Townsend also mentioned three more experimental designs, a wire fence, which we'll refer to in Wavescan next time, using the earth as a receiving antenna, which we'll also discuss another time here in Wavescan, and a tree, which we already have presented on a previous occasion here in Wavescan. Frankly, I'm surprised he didn't mention a home central heating radiator system, which was a favourite of mine back in the 60s and 70s. Maybe such things didn't exist when the article was written back in 1935. (laughs) Back to you, Jeff.
0: Well, thank you very much, Ray. Last week we had a conversation with WWCR Frequency Manager Jerry Plummer about the recent 2022 annual meeting of the National Association of Shortwave Broadcasters, or NASB, in Washington, D.C. This week we begin a second recording that I did with Jerry and with Glenn Tapley, Frequency Manager for WEWN in Alabama. Here's the first part of that interview, recorded in Studio 7 at Radio Free Asia in Washington. Well, Jerry, here we are again in uh, Studio 7 of
1: uh, Radio Free Asia. That's right. The Mm -hmm. uh, Khmer Service uh, studio. Yeah, and they got the three times on the clocks. One of them is what? Phnom Penh, I think. Phnom Penh, yeah. Yeah, uh, and then I got UT, and then got local time.
0: That's right. It's ten, ten, ten o'clock, ten seventeen PM. Yeah, Phnom right, Phnom right.
1: <laughs> and uh, thanks again to AJ for letting us use uh, use this studio to do the wave wave scans. It's uh, uh, oftentimes you and I just do them out in the open, and sometimes you get background noise and all that. But this is pretty nice studios. Very nice. Yeah. And as we record this, the uh, NASB 2022 annual meeting has just ended. It sure has, yeah, yeah. It was a good meeting, our first time in at least three years. Uh, so it was good to get everybody together. I think we're just like everybody else. The first meeting back is not going to be as fully attended because you have still COVID difficulties and flight things. But but it it worked out pretty well. Yeah, uh, I think
0: so. Um, now, we had our business meeting uh, this morning. That's right. The uh, A- NASB annual business meeting, which hasn't taken place for the last uh, two or three years either. Mm-hmm. But um, at that meeting, uh, you were elected uh, president, the new president of NASB. Jesus,
1: condolences to me, please. But <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well, you had been vice president. Yes, I've so, been vice president. and um, uh we we rotate them around like that and and it's it's pretty good every every uh member uh takes eventually takes a turn and we all just kind of pitch in it's uh it's it's not a very glorious <laughs> job title and the pay is extremely low <laughs> but it's something we all do to kind of pitch in and do our part
0: that's right that's right Uh, So this left open your vice president position, uh, which uh, was filled by uh, Glenn Tapley from WEWN. Who we happen
1: to have in the studio with us today.
0: He is here in Studio 7. Uh, Glenn, congratulations.
1: Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Doc. Uh, Jerry, I appreciate the opportunity to be able to serve in this capacity. It's, It's good. I'm just glad we had the chance to meet. (laughs) <laughs> you know together after the oh, last right. two years you know we were gonna hold the uh nasb meeting uh in birmingham right. at wwn up at the studios there and i think the last two years we attempted but COVID got us right. both times right. and the first one was the original outbreak of it and this last time was it did kind of reared its ugly head again sure and did. you know so all the uh All the stipulations of uh, travel, uh, accepting anyone into the buildings other than people we knew, you know, that did not work at EW-10 was limited.
0: That was Jerry Plummer of WWCR and Glenn Tapley of WEWN speaking with us from Studio 7 of Radio Free Asia in Washington, D.C. We'll continue that conversation with them about the NESB annual meeting in upcoming programs and i'm afraid i have some very sad news to pass along about nine days after that interview was recorded jerry Plummer passed away at his home in nashville tennessee jerry had a doctorate and was widely known as doc Plummer. he was a university professor for many years he recently retired but began teaching again part-time some time ago he worked as a consultant to world christian broadcasting which is based in nashville but operates KNLS Shortwave in Alaska and Madagascar World Voice in Africa. Then he became Frequency Manager for WWCR in Nashville and co-host, along with Brady Murray, of the program Ask WWCR. Jerry was very active in the National Association of Shortwave Broadcasters and, in fact, was just elected president of the group at the recent NASB annual meeting in Washington. And Jerry was a candidate, the only one at that point, to become vice chairman of the HFCC High Frequency Coordination Conference at its B22 conference in Bulgaria next month. Jerry's passing will be a great loss to shortwave radio in the United States, to the NASB, to WWCR, to the HFCC, and to all of us who knew and worked with him. We'll continue airing the interviews with Jerry that we recorded at the NASB in Washington, and we also have a recording of the talk he gave there about WWCR's new transmitter and the story of the Caribbean beacon, which we'll present here on Wavescan in the coming weeks. Now, let's go to Pritharaj Prakashyasta in India with our DX Report.
3: Namaskar and hello friends, welcome to yet another episode of Indian DX Report on WebScan. I am Prithviraj Purkayastha, VU3TQD, reporting from Jorhat in the northeastern state of Assam in India. Let's begin with some radio updates from the island nation Sri Lanka, which is struggling of the late from various financial and political instability. When thousands of civilian protesters took over Sri Lanka's state-owned television channel Rupavahini, many radio enthusiasts feared that the protesters may disturb normal transmission of SLBC and other state-owned transmitters. Although the SLBC was missing initially in Hindi on 11905 kHz between 030 to 02-hour UTC, But within a couple of days, the transmission back to its normal schedule. Transmissions of foreign broadcasters like BBC and AWR via SLVC Trinkomali and TWR via Puttalam transmitter site were also heard normal. TRT Voice of Turkey in English is being heard with good signal these days here in Jorhat, on 11660 kHz between 1630 to 1727 UTC Sinpo 55444 Radio Taiwan International in English was heard on 9405 kHz between 16 to 17 hour UTC Sinpo 55454 RTI German language trash transmission on 9545 kilohertz was also heard at 19 hour utc on 9th of this month sinpo was 54444 voice of korea from pyongyang north korea was heard in english on 9875 kilohertz between 19 to 20 hour utc with sinpo rating 35333. radio romania international in English was heard at 530 UTC on 17760 kHz with SINPO rating 35333 RRI English transmission between 3 to 4 hour UTC on 11825 kHz was not received well here in Northeast India. World Christian Radio via KNLS was heard at 0330 UTC on 13760 kilohertz with sinpo rating three four three 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 bbc world service via alcella in oman was heard with Sinpo rating all four on one five four double zero kilohertz between 12 to 13 hour utc nhk world radio japan was logged on 10th july in english on one one eight 15 kHz at 14-hour UTC with special coverage on Japan's upper house election Sinpo 53333 Radio Japan Bengali service was received with nice reception on 11655 kHz at 15-hour UTC on the same day. Vatican Radio in Hindi was heard on 13690 kHz at 1440 UTC SINPO 45444 Voice of America in English beamed to Africa was logged with SINPO 33333 on 15580 kHz at 1415 UTC program heard was titled Encounter Radio Thailand in English was heard on 15590 kHz at 0-10 UTC Sinpo 55444 Radio Philippines was logged with clear reception underwriting all 5 at 0 to 30 UTC on 15640 kHz. And friends, with this, I would like to conclude this edition of Indian DX Report on WebScan. I hope the information will be beneficial to you. I would like to thank DX India, Yahoo Group. And Indian DX Club International for their continuous support to IDXR if you have any comment and suggestion on this DX capsule or want to send me a reception report then please write to me at Indian DX report at the rate gmail.com you can post me a letter to Indian DX report prasantha Nivas E R A S A N T A N-I-W-A-S Poop, Bongal, Pukhuri Bailin 4 Jorhat, 785001, one Assam, India So until next time, stay safe with your loved ones. Bye-bye. 73 is from Assam.
0: And we end today's program where we started it with Marian Harris. Look for the silver lining. Thanks for listening to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio, researched and written in Indianapolis by Adrian Peterson. Next week, American radio stations in New Zealand and our Japan DX report. Several QSL cards are available. Send your AWR and KSDA reception reports for WaveScan to the AWR address in Bangkok, Thailand, and also to the station your radio is tuned to. WRMI or WWCR or KVOH or Voice of Hope Africa or to IWRS Italy or to the AWR relay stations that carry Wavescan. Remember too you can send a reception report to the DX reporters when their segment is on the air here in Wavescan. They will also verify with their own colorful QSL card. Return postage and an address label are always appreciated. The email address for AWRQSLs is qsl at awr.org. The postal address for AWRQSL cards is Adventist World Radio, P.O. Box 234, Prakanong, that's P-R-A-K-A-N-O-N-G, Bangkok 10110, Thailand. Again, Adventist World Radio, P.O. Box 234, Prakanong, Bangkok, 10110, Thailand. The email address for other correspondence to Wavescan, not reception reports, is wavescan at awr.org. I'm Jeff White at WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida, USA. Till next time. Good listening, everyone.